Gurivashnav Gurupam Paraki Jai Gol Bhakta Vrindaki Jai Gol Premanandi Morning everyone, welcome Nice to be here with you <coughs> So we're uh, gathered to discuss the appearance of Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Sri Chaitanya. And it's, of course, a big subject. The, as you know, most of you, the, um, the, 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 the day commemorating his appearance in the world some 500 years ago passed. It was on the Purnim, the full moon, and in the, and the uh, just, just passed. But um, given that... Uh, Many of you were working during the week and so forth and perhaps didn't have time to attend to uh, any festivities for the occasion. We're having an overflow occasion for the day here, which happens to coincide with my visit here. <clears throat> so we had a wonderful celebration in uh, at our monastery, Audari in Northern California. And um, so... I'll speak a little this morning. There'll be some kirtan, some prashad. Speak again in the afternoon, more kirtan and so forth. And the subject will be Chaitanya. Mahaprabhu, Shri Krishna Chaitanya. Big topic. And some of you are obviously more familiar with the topic than others. Some of you may not be that familiar. So I will try to speak in such a way that... Um, we can all draw something from it. Too high for some, too low for others. That's always a problem. <laughs> but uh, so you have to be patient on either end of the spectrum, wherever you find yourself. And we should come to these types of gatherings in the hopes this is uh, that we hear something that we know is right, and that we should add to our lives and make that part of the foundation of the kind of life we would like to have for ourselves, spiritual life. Hmm? We have to do two things, I think, in order to do that. We have to dismantle the present house of our conventional egoic sense of self. That's a formidable task. And then on top of that, we have to erect um, a new house, so to speak, this is the idea of bhakti. Muktirhitvanatarupam swarupena vivastitihi. It's a twofold idea that mukti constitutes. It's not a word that we use that often, mukti, but it is one of the subjects of the uh, Bhagavad Purana that's so central to our tradition. And uh, as I say, therein it has a twofold meaning. Muktirhitvanatarupam swarupena vivastitihi. So to remove the negative, hmm? that means come out, to put it numerically, uh, of negative numbers. Negative numbers, uh, as some of you know, I like to compare to our karmic implications. So we move in such a way that it appears as if we go ahead and gain by acquisition, but in, actually we, in actuality we only enter further into debt. Hmm? As we take, so we owe. Hmm? So off to work we go. This is a problem. So the negative 
And then there's an identity that's, of course, formed in the context of acquisition. Hmm? And uh, ac- by acquisition, I mean the sense that something is mine, and there's an I that corresponds with our sense of my. I am very much, conventionally speaking, in terms of our conventional ego, very much by defined by what I think is mine, my son, my, my house, my wife, my car, my, my country, I'm an American. Uh, my, my state, I'm a North Carolinan. Uh, uh, my house, and so on and so forth. So this my and I, they go together. The problem, of course, is that nothing is ours. So the I that's derived from this sense of my is something that can't be sustained. Hmm? But we're after it by claiming more and more things to be ours, acquiring and so forth. So there's an appearance of a gain when in actuality we're just uh, going up the down escalator, so to speak. And so to come out of the negative numbers, this is one half of the equation that um, mukti, moksha, salvation, as it's termed in different traditions and so forth, constitutes the other half of the equation according to the Bhagavad and the bhakti, the devotional, the love tradition of, of yoga, is that, well, it's very practical. Loving is not fully represented in not taking. So if we stop acquiring and taking and claiming things to be ours with the knowledge that nothing belongs to us, the time speaks loudly in this regard, um, then that's good hmm? to not take. But not to not take is not the full face of loving. So, therefore, to not take is half of the equation, then, of what um, liberation constitutes in the Bhagavad, um, Bhagavad terms. The other half is to give. And in order to give, one uh, has to find the center hmm? that can take in the... Um, using a, a bodily metaphor, we have a stomach and it's the center that takes all the food and it can do what no other part of the body can do. It can take the food and distribute it to all the other parts of the body, hmm? mystically. The hand can't do that, the tongue can't do that. And so it's in their interest to pass the food on to the stomach. Hmm? And so uh, the center is something like that, like the stomach. It appears to be a taker. So Krishna is depicted as a taker, in a sense, and the enjoyer, surrounded by servitors. But in the context of taking, because Krishna represents, if we understand even the word etymologically, represents the center, hmm? then uh, that whatever is taken, if you will, is distributed in a way that it could not be otherwise. Just as if we poured water on the root of the tree, the tree would be nourished much better than if we tried to pump pour water on every fruit, every branch, every tree, every 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 leaf, and so on. And, of course, in love, this is what takes place. If I love you, well, you love me. So, um, in love, if we are controlled by love, it's all right, because who controls us by love, we control that person also, in a sense. So love is a kind of a control that that is, that is, is um, not oppressive, if you will, 
physical control, mental control, these can be oppressive. I've given an example, well, it's obvious if I lock you up in a room, you're going to be upset. Um, and by physical prowess, I can um, control you. On a more subtle level, I could control you. I couldn't, but I wouldn't want to, but somebody could <laughs> control you mentally. Hmm? You might not even know you're being controlled. Someone, have, a friend, have to come and say, get out of there, he's bad for you. It's, it's, he's manipulating you, and so on and so forth. So the mental control would be more subtle than the physical control, but it would be more comprehensive, more pervasive, more difficult to get out of as well. Hmm? So from physical control to mental control to then being controlled by the heart, by love, that's a different affair altogether. And when we're controlled by love, it's less apparent that we're controlled. Hmm? And who is controlling us by their affection is also controlled by us. Hmm? That's why Krishna, in one sense, doesn't appear to be the controller. He doesn't have like four heads and ten arms, and as some of the Indian gods and goddesses are depicted in, 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 with regard to their, their controlling um, capacities. Uh, Hinduism is fond of personifying every aspect of, of nature and paying tribute to, the, to that personification, that deity, the goddess, and, and, and the god, and so forth. And Krishna is playing the flute and dancing. So you wonder, what, what is he controlling? Uh, he's out of control in one sense, uh, <laughs> um, wondering if, 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 if his devotees love him, something like that, if Radha loves him. So, um, but who's only playing is all-powerful, because it takes, as I many times said, it takes power to play. You have to have money in the bank to take a vacation. So who's only playing is all-powerful, and who's, he's controlling then by love, by affection. Hmm? By ch and we are indeed controlled by charm, by beauty, not by brute force, not by mental prowess or extraordinary intellectual um, feats and so forth. They may be interesting to us to an extent and so forth, but it is love and affection, charm and beauty that have the greatest power to control. So this is the idea of, uh, of Krishna. And then to, to, to find the, the center of beauty, the center of charm, affection, and so on and so forth. So, in, in speaking about Sri Chaitanya, the topic, the person of the day, this face of divinity, this, uh, these, these ideas, they all come... Uh, to mind. Um, <clears throat> and I want to speak from a particular verse that describes him very beautifully that um, came from the pen, uh, the mouth of Sri Rupa Goswami. Um, if you do and you should go upstairs later into the interim temple room before we build a temple here nearby as our plans are. Um, you'll see on the left a picture on the wall hmm, of, a, uh, of Sri Chaitanya. It's a picture of Sri Chaitanya speaking to Rupa Goswami at uh, Prayag, hmm, and uh, a holy place, instructing him. Hmm, and it was there, incidentally, that this verse was first cited by Sri Rupa Goswami in glorification of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. And uh, the, the uh, setting was, was 
auspicious in itself, as I say, holy place, the, the confluence of the Ganges and um, and the Jamuna and the Sarasati. Um, and Rupa Goswami's attempts to uh, to meet with Sri Chaitanya are extraordinary. It's like some of you have come some distance to, 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 to arrive here and this assembly made some efforts and so forth. Uh, so he made a great effort to meet with Sri Chaitanya. He left um, behind considerable uh, position in, in society. He was very uh, wealthy and very powerfully situated in the in the government at the time. But he um, was charmed by the stories of Sri Chaitanya and his... Um, uh, the ripple that was uh, yeah. kind of flowing throughout the subcontinent of India as a result of his um, chanting of Krishna Nam, of the name of Krishna. And um, he desired to meet with him. There was some correspondence, some advice sent by Sri Chaitanya as to how he might extricate himself from the position in the government and meet with him. So with great effort... Uh, he and his brother Balava had the opportunity now to um, meet with Sri Chaitanya after having left home. They had a brief meeting with him prior to that when he visited Ram Kaili. And, um, and uh, uh, since then, uh, they, they extricated themselves from the burden of government responsibilities and the perpetuation of of a life of acquisition, if you will, ostensibly, they did. And uh, leaving all that behind, they became mendicants, traveling uh, with no fixed place of residence or no, no no money in the bank and assurance of where they would have their next meal. But they were living on the enthusiasm to meet with and follow um, the ideal of Sri Chaitanya. And so, with great effort... Uh, as I say, they met him here in Prayag. And at that time, uh, Sri Chaitanya had, had, he was probably in his um, late, late 20s. As a young uh, boy, really only of 24, he became a mendicant, left home, and uh, went from Nabadweep to Jagannath Puri and to South India and so forth. He had gone to Vrindavan. So he traveled almost the length and breadth of, of India on foot. And um, and as a result, there was some uh, quite a well, considerable following. Hmm? Wherever he went, he would chant and dance in ecstasy, the likes of which people were unaccustomed uh, uh, to. There's a Christian theologian um, now, I forget his name. I've cited him in one of my books, um, who uh, wrote that of all of the saints, East and West alike, he said, if there is one person that most, in my opinion, personifies the kind of intoxication in love of God that he was a Christian, that Christ seems to be talking about, 
that would be Sri Krishna Chaitanya, who resided in, born in, appeared in Bengal, uh, resided in Jagannath Puri, and would just by uttering the names of Krishna would fall in ecstasy and uh, and created a following, not so much by his teaching, but by his example and by really by his ecstasy. I've compared it at times to a waterfall that is extraordinary that you can't, you have to stand back from, like Niagara Falls. It's a very powerful, uh, compelling experience, but you can't get too close to it either. Hmm? Uh, so, people in, in touch with this, you know, intoxicated by it, and he developed a following and so forth. He did do some teaching, and, and a considerable amount of that teaching was at this place in Prayag to uh, Rupa Goswami. He and his elder brother Sanatan, they made a lake out of the waterfall of his ecstasy hmm, in the form of literature and so forth, and formed a lineage. Hmm this way under his direction, that we could approach that ecstasy and understand it philosophically, theologically, what it, what it constitutes. In the academic world, when when the, uh, the British and some Americans went to India, Christian scholars, to examine the, the heathen uh, faith as, as it was, was thought and convert everyone to the one true religion, when they came across... Uh, this uh, figure, there are many, of course, extraordinary religious uh, spiritual figures in Indian history. When they came across uh, Sri Chaitanya and his ecstasy and so forth, they thought it looks like he was an epileptic, actually, and people mistook his epilepsy for ecstasy and love of God because he would fall into these fits and so on and so forth. Of course, as I've mentioned before, epilepsy is not contagious. And the problem is, of course, with that analysis is that his intoxication and love of God indeed was was contagious. People were catching it by touching it, by being in contact with it and and so forth. So he had a considerable following and uh, he performed the Sankirtan, the congregational chanting of Krishna's names in, 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 in Prayag and many people were following him and Rup and his brother, younger, other brother, not Sanatana, his elder brother, but Balava uh, approached and and paid their respects at some at some some distance. They really understood hmm, what he was about, and uh, and then they came forward and uh, were uh, given a private uh, darshan. Hmm? Um, how would you say it in darshan in English? Private um, audience. audience. Yes, of of him at that time as they approached. Sri Rupa Goswami offered this prayer. Hmm? He said, Namo Mahabhadanaya Krishna Prema Pradayate Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Gaura Namaha. In one sense, it's a simple prayer, but it, it very much um, speaks to us about the person of, of Sri Chaitanya and as well about the, the method, if you will, to his madness. Hmm? Um, it was very well uh, thought out. His the, the sadhana, the spiritual practice that he um, recommended, that he inaugurated, um, and uh, and so both, as I say, what he's about and that by which we can understand what he was about is mentioned here. The principal method 
um, or practice uh, that he um, advocated was, of course, the chanting of, 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 of the name of Krishna. Hariharai Nama Krishna Yadavai Namaha Gopal Govindaram Sri Madhusudan. He asked his students to chant these names of God. He asked them to chant Hare, what's sometimes been called the Mahamantra. He called it the Mahamantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. And um, this is this idea. Uh, a student of mine recently wrote to me and said that um, he had been reading at the recommendation of Nitai Sundar a book called The Way of the Pilgrim, I think it is, where the, the, the Jesus prayer is chanted uh, by some, some Christian monks and so forth, and he was finding so many parallels. So he was asking about that. How do we, where is the border between sectarian and non-sectarian, and we have our own sect that's distinct, and at the same time, we 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 don't because it appears in different shapes, in in, in with different uh, slightly different customs, but in essence the same, in other traditions and so forth. Interesting question, of course, but um, with regard to the Nam Dharma or the chanting of the name, this is really a universally embraced uh, principle throughout the spiritual, the great spiritual traditions of the world. In Christianity, you have the very idea, I believe, in, in the New Testament, where it's at the beginning was the Word, and the Word was was one with with God, right? Isn't it? So there's this idea that the uh, that the, the logos, the name, sound, hmm, uh, is one with the uh, with the object hmm, that it seeks to describe, divine sound. I think in the Jewish tradition, there's there's the idea that the name of God is so sacred that you can't chant it, you can't say it. Hmm? Um, in the Islamic faith, they have, I think, 99 names of God. They chant on beads like a rosary. And uh, um, so, even there is, even in Buddhism, there is a branch of Buddhism. What is that branch called? Pure Land Buddhism. And the um, who is the Buddha there? Uh, Amitabha Buddha, yeah, the compassionate form of the Buddha. They chant the name of the that Buddha, and if you study that, you think, well, I thought I just, you think you just joined the the, the, the Gaudiya people who chant Hare Krishna. It's a, a very similar. There are some subtle differences, of course, and um, at the same time, um, the idea in general being that by that there are sounds that that speak about. And to, to one extent or another, represent something that uh, that is in our interest that transcends uh, words and thought. Mm-hmm. And so, in some traditions, there will be the idea that sounds symbolically represent something that transcends sound, and we can use them as a tool, so to speak, to ascend to that uh, experience and leave the tool. Uh, behind and Tukram, uh, perhaps uh, well Kabir, Guru Nanak in India. These are s- contemporaries uh, in a sense of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They taught this Saguna Nam idea. Saguna means 
the name is a form of uh, of sattva, hmm? the the mode of clarity within um, material nature. There are modes of darkness, um, passion, and, uh, and 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 clarity, hmm? or uh, goodness, piety, piety uh, virtue, and so forth. And the virtuous influence of nature brings clarity and um, is kind of a thought to be a springboard to to transcendence. And so um, the Saguna conception of Nam was one in which the name was constituted of the finer, finer, subtle um, makeup of material nature that that uh, uh, fostered clarity and a vision of a life beyond material nature. Hmm? But um, in Sri uh, Chaitanya's conception of Nam, the Nam was Nirguna. That means that the name hmm, was non-different from that which it described and n- n- not in the provisional sense. And, uh, and, and that the, uh, the name and the named were one, but the name was more generous than the named. Hmm? And so that which is being described by the name, represented by the name, is fully present in the name. In other words, in the name, this was his idea, where is found the guna, the, the, the rupa, the guna and the lila. Hmm? Nam, rupa, guna, lila. Nam means the name. In the name, he said, by chanting, you will, in time, become acquainted with certain guna or qualities of the Godhead. That means to say that the Godhead is not quality-less. The Godhead is not influenced by the qualities of Sattva, Rajas, and Thomas, but has qualities nonetheless, which, of course, would make transcendence or the Godhead lovable, if you will, because we love people because of their qualities, because of their form, how they look, what qualities they have, their rupa, their guna, and... Uh, and their lila. Hmm? What does they play? What do they do when they're by themselves? <laughs> when when no one else is around? Is it worth being around them? <laughs> then we find out then. That's when we find out. <laughs> so, uh, so he said, inside this name of Krishna, you can find the rupa, the guna, the lila, and these rupa, there's a transcendent form, not a formless absolute, but a transcendent form. After all, the forms that we experience in this world, the house, the table, the chair, um, and so forth, our bodies, for that matter, what these constitute in one sense is consciousness, the atma, the self, the experiential aspect of the world. There is the experienced and that which experiences. They're very different. Consciousness is that which experiences. It's very different than that which is experienced. Experience will not come out of non-experience. And, and consciousness, of course, according to Vedanta, for good reason, cannot be reduced to matter. Don't think that it's some... That would mean to say also that consciousness, is, again, is not going to come out of matter. It's not going to come out of some firing in the brain. It's some bouncing around of, of 
the neurons in the brain any more than a, in the billiard ball, ball one day will say, ouch. And, uh, could you put a little chalk on the end of that stick? Uh, something like that. That's, we laugh because that's not going to happen. But, but then we think, but in the brain, it, maybe then ouch is going to come. Brain is nothing more than the same thing that a billiard ball is made out of. It's a more sophisticated form of the same. But think about it in relation to the analogy. No matter how sophisticated of a billiard ball you have, you're not going to get an ouch out of that. Hmm? Yeah. So uh, uh, that's why I have a hard time finding it in there. Hmm? By looking at it from that uh, vantage point, you know, there's the idea I've mentioned several times in other discussions that science has a list of questions hundred and some questions they haven't been able to answer. Right near the top of the list there is the, the question, what is the biological um, makeup of consciousness? And of course the, the, the answer is there is none. And it would have been better to ask, is there a biological makeup to consciousness? At least then you wouldn't have shown your bias to begin with in the name of science, which is predicated on objectivity. Hmm? Um, so, no... There is a biological death, that's, that's a fact. Hmm. But life is not biological. This is the point of Vedanta. Life is not biological. There's a biological life that runs parallel hmm, with what is actually life. And a, a living being, a unit of, of, of conscious experiencing potential, an, an I, hmm, can identify with that parallel biological life and think it dies hmm? and, 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 and be troubled in a struggle, as Darwin put it, for existence and so forth. But it's only, that is only based on the power of that I or consciousness to identify itself, project itself and identify with a thing. Hmm? Just like we project ourself into things and that's why we like things. Because we're in them. If it's somebody else's thing, it really doesn't matter that much to us. But if it's our thing, then it means something. What does it matter? It's one car or another car. But my car transforms it all entirely. I'm in it, so it's important. So it's me, it's the consciousness that's important. Consciousness has the power to project itself. Unfortunately, it identifies itself with this uh, biological movement that it kind of turns on, like the viewer turns on the television, and then it loses itself in the picture of that biological life and so forth, and it, and it feels that it's, it's, it's struggling. Hmm? So spiritual life is to come out from underneath that struggle. Hmm? Um, this is the basic, basic idea of, of, of spiritual life. Hmm? So, To go in that direction, this is our idea. Hmm? At any rate, Rupa Goswami, <laughs> some different thoughts, uh, different directions. Uh, the central theme, Rupa Goswami is, is here come to offer some praise to Sri Chaitanya. He's describing him. He's describing him and his method, the method by which we can understand him and what he's all about. Hmm? This method is, as I say, rather universal. It's invoking the names of God. But the difference between his idea of invoking the name of God and many of the other popular spiritual traditions that um, 
that advocates something similar hmm, is that he has a nirguna conception of the nam. And again, that means that in the name hmm, there is a form and guna, qualities and leelas. And the, this form, qualities and play and so forth, is eternal. Hmm? It, 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 again, what I was saying is if we as a conscious entity hmm, invest ourselves in matter, matter takes a shape. Hmm? We have the basic constituents of the world, but when consciousness invests itself in them, then they take shapes. So if consciousness could invest itself in itself, hmm, in consciousness, let's say, then there's the possibility of consciousness shapes. This is an interesting idea. Form is often thought to limit and be a constraint. And we'll think of the formless as being unconstrained. But from another perspective, form facilitates. If I didn't have the cup to put that water in, would I be limited? <laughs> or, or would my capacity to... To drink be enhanced, so even within our experience, materially speaking, we, we we know that forms can also facilitate and and give me more freedom, hmm? um, more possibility of experience, and so forth. So we're taking this idea to to the to the to the extreme here, and we are saying that Krishna is a form of concentrated. Um, Satchitananda, Satchitananda Ghana. Hmm? Satchitananda Ghana. Satchit, Sat means enduring existence. Chit means knowledge. Ananda means really love. So, being, knowing, loving. Hmm? One type of mukti is the idea of loving to be. It's one thing to love to exist. Hmm? And know that you don't have to die. That's a big, a big thing. Come in, welcome. Hmm? To know that you don't have to die—that would be a relief. Well, as long as it wasn't in this body, that could be a problem. <laughs> I have to stay on here forever, and it's getting old. No, so uh, that you could uh, live without any threat of death or infirmity and. Uh, rebirth and so forth. If we, this is our real position. Therefore, it's it's said that if we knew the extent to which we existed, we would have no fear, no anxiety. And our life is certainly permeated by, by fear. I don't mean just fear of running away from someone, but a fear and a, a, a kind of a uneasiness, hmm? some anxiety, some discomfort. Hmm? We try to adjust it in such a way that it will be comfortable, but we need a very radical kind of adjustment to arrive at comfort. We we need to to let go of the things that we think are making us more comfortable to find that we exist independently of them. After all, as I said earlier, we are the experiencer, not the experienced. Hmm? Would the would the would matter which is experienced matter independently of consciousness? And if it did, well, who would know about it? Who would care? Consciousness is the knower, the carer. Hmm? 
The value lies in consciousness, not in matter. Hmm? Only as much as consciousness places value on matter does matter have meaning to consciousness. Does matter have meaning to itself? It's only the experienced. So value lies in consciousness. That's why, of course, when we try to do away with consciousness hmm, and reduce it to matter, we end up with a life that doesn't matter. Hmm? That's problematic. Hmm? And it goes against, of course, the basic human intuition. Universally, humans intuitively sense that life has meaning, purpose. Hmm? Even those who would like to reduce consciousness to matter, are very bent on saying that there, that there there's no purpose to life. That's a very purposeful statement. <laughs> uh, they're very... They're even they, they have campaigns for that. <laughs> religious, with a religious fervor, if you will. So they're... It's difficult to get away for a conscious being to getting, get away from pursuing meaning and value. Hmm? We are a unit of such is the idea. Hmm? So, when we place value on things, things have meaning, they take shape and, and, and form and, and, and so on and so forth. But, but they, they're not, uh, well, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow, so that they're not, they don't, they're not, uh, they, they, we can't get the kind of security that we seek from them. Hmm? The security lies in not trying to be, hmm? but, but being. Hmm? Uh, we try to exist uh, in by a sense of my, an I is formed, and we try to maintain that I, but it's a folly. So some trepidation pervades our life. So as I say, if we knew the extent to which we existed, then there would be no anxiety. And there's a, there's a practice for that. That's what spiritual practice is about in the very beginning sense, to know the extent, and I mean know first intellectually, by maybe such discussions and so forth, we get some intellectual sense about it, enough, hopefully, to, that we might practice in such a way that we could, in a transrational way. Spiritual practice is not an intellectual exercise, but it's not unreasonable. Hmm? It's a reasonable exercise to think that, let me apply myself in a way that transcends what, what a rational exercise constitutes. What can I arrive at by reasoning? At best, something that some other approach to life, hmm? a sensual, a mental, an intellectual approach to life, something that will be more satisfying because, well, by acquiring through the senses, we're never satisfied. That's the experience. Hmm? You always want more or to try it again after you gave it up. So I'll never do that again. Then we are there doing it again. <laughs> That's a problem. So, uh, whether it be f- physical through the senses, mental or intellect, intellectual can take us a while. We can get stimulated by thought and so forth, and and um, but it's circular. Actually, it's circular. It goes around. Any kind of reasoning has another counter type of reasoning, and so forth. You can reason all you want about an apple and never know what it's like, right? Unless you taste it. Hmm? So intellect, uh, it, it's like kind of licking the, the, the jar of the bottle of, the, the glass of the bottle of the outside of the, of the jar of honey without tasting it, something like that. 
it's not a function, really, of, of consciousness proper. Hmm? That's another thing. This biological life, this mental life, they go together. Hmm? The electrical life in the brain. The Gita says it very nicely. Prakritikriyamanani gunai karmani sarvasa. Hmm? Many of the things that you think that you do and choose are done by the brain. Hmm? It's not you. Prakritikriyamanani gunai karmani sarvasa. But it goes a little further. In, 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 in neurology or in, uh, say, uh, philosophy of mind, where the study of consciousness is, is, is approached from an objective point of view, which is really kind of a silly idea, given that consciousness is subjective. <clears throat> um, but in, in, in such uh, schools, it's deter- been determined that many, as I say, of the things that we think that we do voluntarily are really being done by the brain. Hmm? And so they think we're getting somewhere in doing away with these old spiritual ideas that there's something else called consciousness. It's just part of the brain. We haven't found it yet. But the Gita agrees with you. Hmm? Yes, many of the things that you think you're choosing to do are actually just be programmed in the brain. Hmm? Prakriti kriyamanani gunai karmani sarvasa. Ahankara vimudatma kartaha mitimamite. You've identified with the brain hmm, and body. Hmm, it's a machine and its workings. You think, Gita says, you think you're doing things that are actually being performed by material nature. Hmm? It's, uh, I'm just giving it a modern interpretation. You think you're doing things that are actually being done by the brain. But of course, it goes on to say, but. You're not a brain. Hmm. That's where science holds today largely refrains. Hmm. They don't want to, they don't want to go that far. Hmm. That's beyond the purview of the objective uh, approach to understanding life. Hmm. Hmm. But I want to say, and I am saying that the, the, the approach that we are recommending and that the great spiritual traditions across the cross culturally recommend are not irrational. Hmm. They are faith-based, but faith here means 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 how will it be? How will it how will it come about? Hmm? How does that faith faith is faith is is action? Faith is a is a is an active word, even from the Latin credo. It, 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 it implies action. It's not a fence-sitting affair. Therefore, the Gita says, "Shuddhayam purusha." A person is their faith. Faith animates. If you don't have faith in a thing, you can't do it hmm? effectively. Suspicion, as Pujapatshita Maharaj used to like to say, leads to suspension. So, like, if you listen to me and you you know you don't know me, or you you do know me and you doubt me, so that, fair enough. You know, then you kind of sit there. Well, you know, maybe I'll listen. To, I'll accept this. Maybe not. And fair enough. That's. Hmm? Hmm? We should at least speak the language of intellect and, and, and reason and so forth. Hmm? But then again, what we're, theoretically, what we're speaking about is a subject that transcends reason. Hmm? And the speaking about it, even in logical arrangement of words and so forth, it should come from a heart that speaks the language of love and tries to translate that into the language of reason. Hmm? to speak to human society, who's different from animal society because it said it reasons, 
But we would say further, because it has the potential to love. Hmm? And do things voluntarily. Hmm? And say, you, you, you first, and so forth. Hmm? And counterdict, con- counter- counteract the struggle for existence, bring an end to it. Hmm? Survival by kindness. Hmm? Survival of the kindest. Something like that. Hmm? This idea. So, who speaks the language of love, a sadhu, hmm? should try to translate that into the language of reason. Hmm? And then try to arrest our intellect hmm? so that it relaxes enough that it can go into the heart. Hmm? The love can, feeling can go into the heart. We get a sanskar, a tendency for bhakti, hmm? some faith hmm? that will animate us to attend such gatherings and participate in them, hmm? to, to read the book uh, and so forth. So this faith, divine faith, it, it's, not, uh, it's not a blind thing. Faith is, is, is luminous, actually. It animates, it brings to life the world and so forth. Even of ordinary things that we do, we have to have faith in them to, to proceed. Hmm? So faith... Here we're speaking about a transrational exercise. It's a reasonable thing to pursue a transrational exercise, an exercise that will take me beyond the circular affair of reasoning. Hmm? We reason in Vedanta. In Vedanta, we reason in, in relation to revelation. The idea of revelation is very beautiful. The idea is that if we want to be perfectly happy, then we have to have a perfect knowledge because knowledge informs all actions. Hmm? So if we want to be perfectly happy, we have to have perfect knowledge. We don't, therefore we're not perfectly happy. So how we will arrive at perfect knowledge? Well, we have to have a perfect method. Not by an imperfect method can we arrive at perfect knowledge. Hmm. So, what's the, so therefore the perfect method is, this we call this the perfect method, you fold your hands. Hmm? That I will petition perfection, that it might reveal itself to me, hmm? that it might perfect me, hmm? that the finite can know the infinite if the infinite chooses to reveal itself. Otherwise, how will it know? Hmm? By knowing that it's finite, that's a good start. Hmm? We think we're bigger than we are, even though we're struggling to just have a meager existence. Hmm? So, his method anyway, hmm? a transrational method, the chanting hmm? of Krishna Nam. And the Krishna Nam, the name, was a Nirguna Nam in his estimation, not a Saguna Nam. In other words, inside the name was a form, was qualities, and Leela's. Leela is different than karma. Karma is also movement. Leela is also movement. One type of movement, karmic, is obligatory. Leela is without obligation. It is play. Hmm? What obligates us within the realm of karma is the fact that we've taken. Our movements constitute taking. Hmm? In order to preserve something, that we, th- we think is ours, and to preserve an identity that's based on, as I said earlier, our mys, my house, my family, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my husband, my kids, and that's I. Hmm? If I want to know who are you, you say, well, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, and I know who you are. Well, that's you. 
or they you know they do a very good job on the television they got this you know one one type of car or one type of cigarette or something and it's just that's you mm -hmm. that's mine yeah that's me so the our my which is illusory because nothing belongs to us forms an eye that cannot be preserved this is a problem the wonder we're in anxiety mm -hmm. So this life of acquisition, this karmic life of acquisition, this is this is obligatory. Then you've taken, so now you owe. Hmm? How do you get out of that? Hmm? Of course, it's the answer would be stop taking. But well, and that's kind of hard. <laughs> okay, I'll stop taking. Now what? <laughs> so the complete answer is to give. Hmm? How will I give? How will I give completely to completely solve the problem? You have to find the center that is the taker. As I said, you have to find the stomach of the body of life that can take everything and turn it into, redistribute it in a way that everyone's nourished. This is the idea of Krishna, the center. This Satchitananda Gana, being, knowing, loving, hmm, taking shape. This is the idea. Gana means condensed. Condensed being, knowing, and loving. It's kind of hard to think about, but being, knowing, and loving, taking a shape. Hmm? But why not? Hmm? Consciousness is the basis of all forms. So why not a form that transcends matter? After all, if consciousness is not, not reposed in matter, but in consciousness, what, what lies there? Hmm? What possibilities are there? Hmm? In the subjective realm. All possibilities. So, one thing, as I say, is to is to love to be, to love to exist. This is one form of transcendental culture. I love to exist. I am, and I want to pursue that through a spiritual practice that I can be forever. Never mind, you'll be alone. Shanti, shanti, shanti well and good. But in the bhakti tradition, rather than being interested in loving to be, loving to exist, we exist to love. This is the idea. And if there's to be loving, then there has to be another. Hmm? Now, we have to be a consciousness other, of course. That is then Satchitananda Ghana. Hmm? Condensed Satchitananda. This is a form of Krishna. This is the idea. Hmm? So, Rupa Goswami wants to say something about that form. Hmm? He wants to say something about the qualities. He wants to say something about the Leela. Hmm? And this in the context of identifying this person by name. He says, Namo Mahavadanaya, Krishna Prema Pradayate, Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne, Gauru Trisay Namaha. He says, Krishnaya, hmm? Nama. Hmm? I offer my Nama. Not me. This is the word nama. It means not me. It's not about me. It's about you. Something like that. So, he says, setting aside any sense of, false sense of self, wherein one thinks oneself to be the center, consciously or unconsciously looks at the world as if it's for himself or herself to enjoy for their mentally conceived purpose and sense of being and no wonder people are arguing with you. <laughs> no wonder things don't cooperate and just come into your hands when you want them. Hmm? 
what do you want to do with them? Hmm? And does that have any connection with what they're actually about? Hmm? Is everything for you in your mentally conceived sense of self that's based on your likes and dislikes? I like this, I don't like that. I think this is hot. You think it's cold. There's an I in there that's, that's false. Hmm? Based on these perceptions. Is it hot in here or is it cold? What do you think? I mean, we get any number of answers anywhere from hot, cold, or in between. Hmm? Or no answer. I'm not listening. That's also possible. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> At least we're here. So, yeah, so uh, what is the answer? The answer transcends that mental and sensual reading of the of of the of the of the nature of being hmm? so the eye that's formed on that misreading this is very a false eye hmm? Hmm. that doesn't mean I don't exist I have no experience of not existing why should I think I won't or didn't at some point hmm Yes, as I say, there's a biological death, but does that mean I won't exist? I have no experience of not existing. Why should I start to think I won't at some point? Only as much as I've identified with something that won't. And animated it. And brought life to it, if you will, so to speak. So he says, anyway, what? He says, Krishnaya Nama. I offer my respect. I give myself. It's, uh, it's in the, the dative case. Krishnaya. I, I give myself to Krishna. Hmm? Not me, he says. Nama. It's not me. It's not about me. It's about you. You are the center. Hmm? Circumference will be served by keeping its connection with the center. Without the center, there's no circumference. Hmm? My life is... You know, I'm off... I'm off out of orbit or something. I fell out of the orbit, something. So I come in the orbit hmm, around the center. As I said, when I think it's about me, things don't cooperate with me. This is not the case for Krishna. Therefore, another name for Krishna is what? Satya-sankalpa. What does that mean? Satya-sankalpa. Whatever he wants, sankalpa, satya. It happens. Hmm? When Krishna wants to see, to he said, let me be my wisdom, then there's a Buddha. Just like that. Hmm? When he wants, let me be my, my love, there's a Radha. Radha Krishna Pranayi Vikiti Ladini Shakti Rasmad. The transformation of Krishna's love, personified and loving him in ways that amaze him. She's loving me and seeing something in me that even I can't see. The two are one in in different bodies. So this is some idea, such a sankalpa. Whatever he wants, it happens. That's not happening for us. But that's what we want. <laughs> we want that everything that I would, I could, whatever I want, whenever I want, I could have it. That's what we want. That's what the center's like. Now, so if we want that kind of life, we have to connect ourselves to the center. Hmm? Then we can have whatever we want whenever we, this is the idea. Hmm? Independently of that, the world's not cooperating with us. Hmm? 
Is there any wonder? <laughs> There's good reason for that. When we start to connect properly with the center by transrational practice, for example, like the chanting, then we can have the experience. Things start to cooperate. Some of you have to starts to cooperate. People ha- just happen to come ar- arrive at the right time. <laughs> And uh, so on and so forth. And life, you'll find it. The more that you connect with the center, life is making sense. Everything's happening. Uh, there's some synchronicity or something like that would be the idea in a really deep and profound sense, not in an imaginary sense. We can delude ourselves as to thinking like that, but in a real sense. And the, and, the, and, 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 and the evidence that it's real is that I'm becoming satisfied and detached and... I don't have to go out and conquer and acquire and control. Hmm? This is what it means, Hare Krishna. I'm not controlling anymore. It's, what a relief that is. There's someone who's a controller that's qualified. Uh, we, got, we got good management at last. Something like that. Scissor. Something like that. Hmm? So he says, Krishnaya, no more. I I give myself to Krishna. Yeah? He says, but I give myself to you who are Krishna. Hmm? He says, Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne. So he begins by saying, you are Krishna and your name is Krishna Chaitanya. Hmm? Hmm. Nam, uh, uh, Krishna Chaitanya Namne. His name, I give myself to you. You are Krishna and your name is Krishna Chaitanya. So he's given a name to this particular advent of Krishna whom we're, we're talking about today. Hmm? This is a very... You know, we're going to go a little theologically and a little in, internally into the tradition that some of you are more familiar with here. Hmm? But um, this was the name that um, Chaitanya was given at the time of his taking sannyas. I mentioned earlier... 24 years old, he left the family life and so forth to become a wandering mendicant. And Keshava Bharati, from the Bharati order of sannyas, there were ten principal orders of sannyas at the time in India that were prominent. And uh, Keshava Bharati was in the Bharati lineage, so they would get the name, whoever took sannyas from him, so-and-so Bharati. Hmm? Anyway, he was named Krishna Chaitanya. Hmm? He didn't take the name Bharati. Chaitanya is a is a is a brahmachari or a student name of a sannyasin, hmm? and um, so arguably he was given first the name uh, Chaitanya, and then he kept that that name was kept rather than changing the name to Bharati, Krishna Chaitanya, and um, nobody commented on that in hundreds of years as to why that was the case, because he was a he was the you know, very ideal in his uh, sannyas and his renunciation and so forth, but there was a, seemed to be a technical error. Sarvabhoma detected it hmm? in Puri. He wanted to change his name and initiating him in a, in a different order and and so forth. Uh, he was surprised when he tried to do that. What happened to him? But uh, that's a whole other story. But um, but Sarasati Thakur, she Bhakti uh, uh, Prabhupada, he uh, volunteered the idea that he kept his brahmachari name hmm, because it was common for people 
with a saguna conception of nam hmm? that had an idea of transcendence being void or uh, formless and without lila, without movement. Brahman is everywhere. So, as I often say, how can it move? If you're everywhere, how can you move? Hmm? So, if I'm a unit of consciousness and I move away from the forms and names of this world, nam rupa, that are here today and gone tomorrow, then I enter into the universal mind, if you will, into a formless peace, shanti, shanti, shanti. That's again, and I love it. I love to exist. It's great. I, and there's no more struggle, something like that. And this is an idea that Chaitanya Vaishnavism seeks to, to, to build upon, if you will. Hmm? Because after all, this Satchitananda Gana, this concentrated Satchitananda is moving, that we call Leela. So how can something that's everywhere move? That's very extraordinary. Hmm? Therefore, that Leela is very different than the movement of karma. Hmm? That's play. I've given an idea. They're just like, God is omniscient. Knows everything. Now you think about it. Would you like to know everything? You might think, yeah, that'd be neat. For a minute. Then what? <laughs> then what will you do? You know everything. Now how you're frozen, really. You know everything. What's there to do? You know everything. That means whatever happened, whatever is going to happen, whatever could happen, like the more you talk about it, the more, the more inanimate you become, the more frozen you become. Like, so this is, but, so the idea of Krishna is that this Brahman knows everything. Hmm? So this omniscience lends to boredom. So what do you do when you're bored? Then you play. Hmm? That is Leela. Hmm? The absolute plays, and it plays hard, really hard. So he plays so hard that he doesn't even know it's him playing. He thinks, I'm the son of Yashoda. Hmm? I'm the friend of Subal. Hmm? Does Radha love me? Hmm? In other words, there's questioning. Hmm? Um, and there's uncertainty. Uncertainty in the absolute. This will turn the religious world upside down. There's un uncertainty in the absolute, but it's not something less than omniscience. It's something more than omniscience. Hmm? Is love a kind of knowing? What kind of knowing is it? It's a comprehensive knowing. It's a knowing that I know what to do. When you love, you know what to do. Hmm? You don't have to carry any extra knowledge of wondering what to do. It's a, it, it's a, it, love is a very well-informed, I know what to do. Hmm? It's pregnant with a, with a kind of essential knowledge. Hmm? Hmm? And in love there is uncertainty. That's the nature of love. It moves in two ways, like a, like a, like like the ocean, high and low tide. Hmm? Hmm? The uncertainty of the low tide, hmm? and the uncertainty of the high tide. Sambhog vipralamba, union and separation. Hmm? Love moves like this. She loves me. She loves me not. Hmm? You never say you love me. You know, they've been here for 50 years, you know, <laughs> but you never say it. Yeah. 
So I'm not sure. So, there's a, there's a, so spiritual life is like this too. It's full of uncertainty. Oh, goodness, what to do now? <laughs> Our material life was uncertain. Right? Things were here today and gone tomorrow. That was a problem. Now we find an uncertainty that's the solution. That, 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 though it's uncertain, you, you, want, you can't get off. Hmm? What will be the next twist or the next, next turn? Turn, tune in next week as the world turns. That, that was when I was a kid. That was the first like soap opera. As the world turns. So his world turns also. This world of Leela. Hmm? Full of twists and turns. Such is the nature of play. Hmm? We have to come to that. Leela is described here. But first he says, Krishna Chaitanya Namne. His name is Chaitanya. He took sannyas. He was given the name Chaitanya. And he kept the Brahmachari name because some people in other schools who have the idea of an unmoving absolute that is static hmm, in relation to the false dynamism of the material world. What do I mean by that? It's a very complex word. I'll try to idea, I guess. I'm trying to, trying to explain it simply. There's a false dynamism of the world in that I said earlier, you're going up the down escalator. You're doing a lot of movement, but you're not getting anywhere. Hmm? Material life is something like a carrot, you know. Here it is. And then we're following it. We're always getting an appetizer. And, and a full meal is always promised. It never comes. So what do you get if you just eat appetizers? Indigestion. Hmm? This is the material life. It's one big case of indigestion. Never getting a full meal. The promise is always there. Promise. And it takes different shapes and so forth. Nature is very crafty and presenting this possibility. Indeed, according to Vedanta, hmm, science will like this, the Atma, consciousness, never even touches matter. No wonder it can't do anything for us. We think we have it, but we never even touch it. Hmm? We animate it by observation. Hmm? They're looking at science for how con if consciousness is causal, then why can't we measure it? Can a ruler measure itself? Consciousness is the measurer. Hmm? Then you want to measure it. Hmm? It measures things and gives value to them. Then you want to measure it. That's not a good idea. Hmm? Hmm? It's the measurer. Hmm? Okay. And we are of that nature, hmm? of the nature of consciousness. And we have the power of observation. And that's how we move the world, by observation. Some things would never happen if someone wasn't looking, right? You might act a certain way because your father's there, but you wouldn't act otherwise, for example. Hmm? Just because he's watching, something's happening. So I'm just giving a crude example. Observation has power. Can we measure it? Hmm? It's a subjective power. It has power to... This is how Bhagawan moves the world. By observing. This metaphor is there. He glances. Saikshita. Vishnu glances in a light. And the world becomes illumined by consciousness. Hmm? And the whole thing starts going around. By glancing. Hmm? So we are never touching the world observing it, 
we're really observing ourself identified with it, unfortunately. But the yoga practice is for stepping back, being object, objective and starting to watch the world. Watch the mind, right? Hmm? Watch it and not identify with it. Hmm? It's, it's one thing to turn the TV on and you know animate it. Another thing to get stuck there and become a couch potato. You know, you could walk away. You could turn it off. Hmm? So it is with our the drama of material existence. Hmm? So there's power, power and observation. So anyway, we we, we never even touch the world. No wonder we're we're not satisfied with the things we get because we never even get them. <laughs> In a sense. Hmm? It's all the big carrots, and there's no, there's no real full meal, no satisfaction, just indigestion. So, hmm, to move away from that, this is the idea. Hmm? And as we move away from that, hmm, into transcendence, does transcendence have movement in life, or is it just still and quiet? The, there's a false dynamism to the world. It looks like something's happening, is what I mean. It looks like something's about to happen. Did you get, you know, did you read the news? I mean, any email in it? You know, something's about to happen. The, the, you know, the whole world is like the big apple even in, in the rural areas. Something's about to happen. That's what we feel. But nothing's happening except the same thing over and over again hmm? in a different dress. It's the same thing, same old trick, hmm? same old appetizer. Meal is never coming. Hmm? So there's a false dynamism to the movement of the world. Hmm? You're still, you're not moving. The world is moving, you've animated it, you've identified with it. Hmm? So there's a false dynamism. So to move from that false dynamism to a static reality of peace. Whew. Hmm? I was going up the down escalator, I was getting nowhere. Now I'm off the escalator, standing still. That's better. Hmm? But there's still that room up there where that... <laughs> and what about that? What goes on up there? Hmm? So, so there's a group of renunciates at the time of Chaitanya and still today, a schools of Vedanta that posit the idea that if you're happy, if you're fulfilled, why move? Therefore... Transcendence must be still, peaceful, hmm? one. There's another reasoning that says, if you're really full, then you move. Not out of need, not out of, not, not out of lacking, but out of fullness. Hmm? You dance out of fullness. This is, this is the idea of Leela, movement in transcendence. Hmm? The, 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 there's a there's a dynamism within the static nature of of the absolute static in relation to the false movements of the world. There's a dynamism in that that the static reality fosters. Hmm? So there's movement, lila, and Bhagwan is dancing. Hmm? Bhagwan is dancing, tasting himself, and the chanting is the distribution of that. Hmm? This Nam. So he says, his name is Krishna Chaitanya. Hmm? He went throughout India chanting Krishna Nam, Krishna Varnam, Krishna Varnam, 
Visakrishnam, Sangopangastaparshnam. Everywhere these two syllables, Barnam means syllable here. Krishna, Krishna, coming from his mouth, uttering everywhere. Hmm? This was his, uh, one of his uh, characteristics. Krishna Chaitanya. It's a very nice name. All of the principal authors of the bi- many biographies of Chaitanya's uh, spiritual reality in the world have, have named their biographies Chaitanya, Chaitanya Bhagwa, Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Chandradaya Nataka, and so on and so forth. They've all used this name Chaitanya. There are many names by which we address this form of divinity, this form of Krishna. Hmm? This is one of them. It's a name with some Aishwarya, hmm? some majesty to it, rather than Nimai, Sachinandan. Hmm? These are names only with Madhurya, only with intimacy. Hmm? But the name Chaitanya has some Aishwarya, means some, some, it means, it means consciousness, actually. Hmm? His name was Krishna Chaitanya, Krishna consciousness. Hmm? Uh, so his name. Prabhupada named his mission after that. Krishna consciousness. Hmm? Consciousness of, of Krishna. Uh, it's a kind of a, hmm. It goes, as I say, with his sannyas. His sannyas is some, it distinguishes him from the common people. In Nadia, he's not distinguished except by, by love. Hmm? They love him. Hmm? He's so lovable. But when he becomes Krishna Chaitanya, hmm? then he's carrying the staff. He's sitting about a foot higher than everybody else. It's very uncomfortable, by the way. And, and there's some distance created by his knowledge. Hmm? Teaching, hmm? there's some distance created, so some teachable moments are created, and so forth. But that's very valuable to us. Hmm? By that name and that aspect of his lila, hmm? as a teacher, then we are able to go inside and understand the names that correspond with his lila and intimacy in Nadia. In Nadia, Vrindavandas hmm? says. And he washed the clothes of others, his devotees. Then he would go to the Ganges and pick flowers and bring them back to other devotees to, that they would worship Krishna with and so forth. Hmm? He thought by his own example there, worshipping the devotees. Hmm? This, is, the, 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 this pleases Krishna. Hmm? Humbly. Sri Krishna, he is Krishna. <laughs> hmm? In Navadvip, so intimate. Hmm? This is a goal to enter there. Vrindabhanda says, oh, if I want to become one of the students of Nimai Pandit on the bank of the Ganges, hmm? that's the same as eating a picnic lunch with Krishna on the bank of the Jamuna. Hmm? Some people compare him to Brihaspati. Hmm? But Brihaspati is the, is the guru of the gods, so he's biased toward the god, but he's unbiased. That's an inappropriate name. That doesn't describe him. He gives his love to everyone. Hmm? What else he say? Hmm. He's giving different, in his writing, different ways in which people might think about Sri Chaitanya. And none of them can compare. Hmm? He says, but there's one thing that he might be compared to. Hmm? Hmm. And that is Krishna and his friends sitting on the banks of the Jamuna. Hmm? This, this is an apt comparison. Rupa Goswami is identified in the same way. He is Krishna. Hmm? Now he's named Krishna Chaitanya. Hmm? 
and he's a sannyasi. I'm meeting him here. And he says what? And by this name, by understanding him in the context of Sri Krishna Chaitanya, then we have the possibility of entering into the Navadvip, which is Vrindavan and Krishna Leela. And Leela's in intimacy. Where there's no difference, there's no gap between the object of worship and the worshiper. The gap is bridged by love. This is called rag bhakti. Attachment, not worship. Worship is I do it because it should be done. I worship, I love God because God should be loved. Even if he shouldn't be loved, he's doing things that God shouldn't do. I love him. This is Krishna. Of course, that's play. If God steals, then, well, he owns everything. So that is play. So he says, Namne, Shri Krishna Chaitanya Namne. Then he says what? As I said, in your name is Krishna Chaitanya. The implication is, by chanting that name, try it. Shri Krishna Chaitanya. Shri Krishna Chaitanya. Shri Krishna Chaitanya. Shri Krishna Chaitanya. He said, this has the power. You become acquainted with his form, which he describes here. Gaur Twise. Gaur He said, he is Krishna. Now Krishna is that Satchitananda Ghana. Condensed Satchitananda. But he appears dark. Hmm? Sham. Blackish. Hmm? And Chaitanya is appearing gold or twise. Golden. Luminous. Bright. Hmm? Says, he said, so he is Krishna, but he has a different color. Hmm? And in Indian aesthetics, of course, every for every emotion has a color and a corresponding shape and form hmm? this is the sh- this is the color molten gold this is the color of mahabhav Gaurangi. Hmm? this is the color of radha hmm? krishna is black and radha is golden hmm? bhargodevasya gayatri says Bhargu Devasya. Deva, Deva, Devasya. Deva means playful. The playful God. Hmm? Devasya. Bhargu Devasya. Hmm? Bhargu means light. Who's shedding light on the playful God. It really means who's making God play. How we asked earlier, can that which is everywhere move? Hmm? There's a power for that, a shakti for that. That is called bhakti. Hmm? Bhakti is the essence of the Sarup Shakti of Bhagwan. Hmm? And it governs the Leela. Hmm? This love makes the Leela go round. Hmm? Hmm? So, Krishna Chaitanya, he said, this is Krishna. His name is Chaitanya here, Krishna Chaitanya, which means Krishna consciousness. So he's Krishna in the form of someone who is conscious of Krishna in a way that that Radha is conscious of Krishna. Hmm? And he has the color of Radha. Hmm? So although he's Krishna, we don't worship him like we worship Krishna. We don't relate to him like we relate to Krishna. Krishna is a nayaka, a lover, hmm? a hero. In Indian aesthetics and drama, there's 64 different types of heroes, lovers. Hmm? The Krishna... Rupa Goswami shows in Ujjwal Nilmani, all of those types of lovers are personified in Krishna. Hmm? 
He's like kind of like a whatever man who's got everything, kind of a, the center, hmm? kind of a playboy of sorts, uh, if you will, without any of the derogatory connotations that go with that in, a, in our society. Hmm? Hmm. But he he says he's Krishna himself, but he says, but he's in a different complexion. That means he's in a different mood. So we should worship him according to the mood that he is in. Vrindavan underscores this point in his in his uh, Chaitanya Bhagavat. You cannot worship him as a Nagara. Hmm? No. He doesn't have other ladies. He's a sannyasi. <laughs> he doesn't have, like Krishna has so many gopis, so many Lakshmis. Hmm? You can't think, I would like to be a gopi of Chaitanya. No, no. <laughs> yes, he's Krishna. But in this mood, he's in a gopi mood himself. He doesn't want gopis. Hmm? He wants to show the way that the gopis love Krishna hmm? and make that available to others. He wants to find out what it's like to be me in the eyes of Radha. Hmm? What is her experience? These are the kind of these are kind of this is the kind of uncertainty and deep theological questions that arise deep in the Leela. Hmm? What am I like in the eyes of Radha? How does she feel when she sees me? Hmm? What is the nature of her love? These are extraordinary questions. People ask about God. Here God's asking about himself. What am I like? Hmm? The implication is, what is bhakti like? I've said before, people may not believe in God, but it's difficult not to believe in love of God. You could not believe in love of God when people say, I love God, but they act like they love other things. But if one doesn't have love for anything, nadanam, nadanam, nasundurim, kobitam, ba. I don't have any taste for anything in the world. Hmm? But I but I hear this name, Krishna, and I go mad. Hmm? It's just to distinguish love of God as a, as a phrase, an empty, empty hollow uh, phrase from something filled with, with, with wisdom. Wisdom is, the Buddhist wisdom, we, we invoke it. The world is about suffering hmm? and it comes from attachment to things. In the Gita, Krishna says it. He's pretty wise too. He says, Dukkala, what is this? He says, um, hmm, he says that suffering dukkha is born out of the womb of attachment hmm? that's what you give birth to by attachment to things you give birth to your suffering so one who has stopped, who has no attachment to things, hmm, but has attachment for Krishna, this person has some has love of God, hmm, and he was enchanting and falling on the ground in ecstasy, preoccupied with these kind of talks, discussions, in the chanting. Hmm. It's hard to deny, as I say, love of God. You may not believe in God. It's hard not to believe in love of God, but the secret, of course, is there cannot be love of God without God. Hmm? Well, he's there in the hearts of the devotees, wherever they are chanting in ecstasy, uh, chanting his name. Hmm? So he says here, hmm? in his name is his form, 
and he has to be approached in a particular way according to the form he appears in. Here he's appearing in a form that corresponds with the bhava, the ecstasy of Radha. He's trying to share that with the world and experience it himself. He's trying to experience it himself in the context of that madness. It's being shared with the world. Hmm. So he's given his name, he's given his form. Hmm. I'm just going over that in brief. Hmm. Golden means light, hmm. luminous. He's dark, hmm. I said. Krishna's dark. But he shines, standing next to Radha. Prabhupada once said, my Guru Maharaj once said, Krishna's not that attractive. But, but when he's standing next to Radha, then he becomes very charming. Hmm. Brings out the best in him. Something like that. Bhakti is a force then. Hmm? A transrational force, power, shakti of Bhagwan that illumines him, sheds light on him. It's making Brahman dance. That's what's making Brahman condensed, such as Nandagana. Hmm? Therefore, Achintya Veda Veda. Love and the object of love are one and different at the same time. Hmm? So he's now in a golden form. Hmm? He's in a disposition of Radha and he can shed light on what is this two syllables Krishna. What do they mean? What is the efficacy of chanting that? Hmm? And then, if he has name and not an empty name, what's in a name? Everything. Did you get his name? He said, you could have him then. Now they have identity theft. You know, If you get the social security number, then you can take out his whole bank account and everything. So in his name, everything is there. His form, he's described. This is his name, this is his form. And Mahabodhanaya, this is his principal quality. He's Badanaya. He's very magnanimous. Maha. He says, I've never seen a more magnanimous uh, uh, manifestation of divinity. What, what, what is the, the magnanimity? The magnanimity is almost an unconscious magnanimity of giving hmm, inner secrets hmm, of love of God, hmm, inner secrets of the Leela, hmm, deep inner secrets of the Leela, just giving them out to anybody and everybody. If I would give it to only very qualified people, that would be generous. If I give it to people who are unqualified and uninterested even, that's the extreme of magnanimity. Mahabhadanaya. This characterizes him. Hmm? Krishna Leela is called Madhurya. It's sweet. It's a closed circle. Sveta Dweep. It's like a private island. You can't just go there and enter into that heart of the Absolute. Why? Because you've got so many other things in your heart. <laughs> uh, you, so they're preoccupying you. You can't go there. And even if you took them all out of your heart, you had an empty heart. You might have a passport, but not a visa. Hmm? You have a passport to leave the world. I have no interest in it, okay? You're not here anymore. Hmm? You no attachment to things, then you're not really here. That's what it's all about. But that doesn't give you a visa. Visa comes from the other side. The wealth of Golok, it comes from there. Visa means Guru Parampara. By the Guru, we get the visa. Hmm? Passport, too, usually. <laughs> But even if we could get a passport without a guru, you cannot get a visa. Hmm? That has to come from the other country, hmm? from the country of love. Hmm? 
If you stop being mean, this is the country of meanness here, taking. You stop being mean. I'm not mean anymore. This doesn't mean you can enter the country of love. You have to become a lover. So you have to practice love. Hmm. This is bhakti. Sadhana bhakti. Practice giving to the center. Hmm. So he is giving as an exemplar of sadhana almost unconsciously in one sense. There's two sides to him, of course. One side is he's lost in Radha's love in the pursuance of that. The other side is he's taking the place of the Yuga avatar. In that context, there's some conscious giving. Hmm? He's giving out the Nam Yuga Dharma. Hmm? But of course, inside the Yuga Dharma is coming this Prem, which would not ordinarily be the result of the chanting. Because of his badness, he has to give who he is, according to who he is. So he, his is his quality. Hmm? This is his guna, principal guna. Mahabodhanaya Uttara. And what is his lila? Krishna Prema Pradayate. Hmm? He's giving. He's giving Krishna Prem. This is his play. This is his lila. This is his madness. Hmm? He's giving out Krishna Prem everywhere hmm? through the chanting. Rupa Goswami could understand. This person is giving out prem, divine love for Krishna. That is a certain thing. Prema Madhurya. He's giving prem Madhurya. This is what Krishna has. It's a quality of Krishna that Narayan doesn't have or any other avatar. There's many different avatars and their different qualities are described. Sri Rupa Goswami has kindly pointed out to us uh, with support from the core texts that there are four qualities of Krishna that even Narayan, the four-armed Narayan, God, he's God, he has four arms. Krishna's like, we're not sure if he's God. He's got two arms. He's very human-like. That means for intimacy. Hmm? The absolute has to become almost like, the, the infinite has to become finite-like for the, for, the, for the finite to get close. Otherwise, you'd push back and think, oh my God, I'm next to the infinite. Hmm? So it takes an appearance, finite-like. Hmm? And he has these qualities, Lila Madhurya, Venu Madhurya, Rupa Madhurya, and Prema Madhurya. He's surrounded by devotees endowed with this special kind of Prema that makes him into like a son, like a friend, like, like a lover, transforms him into this hmm? in eternity. It's not something that happens in time. The two, that that love and him are one. Hmm? They go together. They cannot be separated. He had this Prem Madhurya. Nanashinga doesn't have Prem Madhurya. Narayan, Varaha, Kurma, Matsya, Buddha, all these different avatars, they don't show this Prem Madhurya. They're not dancing with Radha. Hmm? Herding cows, this is Prem Madhurya. Hmm? Rupa Goswami said, he's giving Prem Madhurya. He must be Krishna. Hmm? This is how he identified him. Very scientific, if you will. Oh, he's giving... He, he, what was his position? So I'll conclude with this. Godbrother of mine, Sanyasi at the time, he, he said, What do you think of this verse? Now, some, of, <laughs> some of you may know who I'm talking about. Mahabhananaya, Krishna Prema Pradayate, Krishnaya, Krishna Chaitanya Namne, Gauratrisena. Short guy. Gauratrisena Maha. So I said something about the verse, and they cut me off. This was a long time ago. And he said, we think of Rupa Goswami. That's who we think about. Who wrote the verse. Hmm? 
We want to go to him. We want to take shelter. What he, who had that? Who who could draw that out and understand that? That I was, I like that explanation. So when you go upstairs, then before you look to the right, Radha, Madhava, Radha Krishna, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The configuration of the deity here is Radha and Krishna and Chaitanya. The idea is Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Radha Krishna Nahayanya. That Radha and Krishna have combined into one as Sri Chaitanya to explore the depths of their own experience of themselves and as a result of that it's overflowing to the world through this Nam Dharma, this chanting and take advantage of it. So when you look at when you walk in, you'll see to the right they are, but to the left, straight ahead, hmm, that picture of Rupa Goswami. Uh, I didn't put it there. It just happened to be there, and, and he's and he's he's saying this verse to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we think of him. Any question? Yes. Um, you mentioned the ruler can't measure itself, and uh, I know it's quite a few topics back. I was thinking, okay, just trying to catch that one. Yeah. <laughs> what that was about. That means that. The consciousness is what measures things. Matter doesn't measure itself, right? Hmm? But we, as a conscious experiencing entity, we measure and we give values to things, to things, inanimate things. The objective world is given value by the subjective world, which we're a member of as a unit of consciousness. So we place value on things. We measure things. Hmm? Now, measuring is a problem. That's another thing. <laughs> measuring. Maya means to measure also. Hmm? The fact is that, that the world can't be measured in the sense of comprehensively. By an intellectual, physical, or mental exercise, we cannot capture the whole world, what it is, in the fist of our intellect and preside over it. Hmm? So to try to do that, that is called Maya. That's it's an illusion to be the controller to, to just manipulate and get it all figured out and 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 rise above it and find security in that way. This is called illusion hmm? in Sanskrit, Maya, to measure. But but we are a a, a measuring unit. Hmm? We do posit, give value and so forth, um, and so we cannot measure the whole thing, bring it within our grasp. But there is a super measurer, the Godhead, so to speak, and everything is within his grasp. Hmm? That's a fact. And all value really comes from the Godhead. We're a unit of the Godhead. So, But in the context in which I was explaining that, I'm, I was saying that people, some people in the modern world today, want to think of consciousness as, as, as an object. Which is just crazy to start, because even to think about it, you know, all of a sudden, matter doesn't think. So they want to think of that consciousness is material. It's just something that goes on in the brain. We haven't quite figured it out which button it is up there, which neuron fires how, or what's this, and an experience comes, and I, I am. Hmm? Um, they want to say, yeah, the lights are on, but there's nobody there. There's nobody home there. There's no really. Per it's just false. Hmm? And so in the context of that, also, they say, well, if there is something that's an ontological reality, 
that's different from matter, hmm, that has a causal effect that influences the world of matter, causes it to do things and so forth. We see forces within nature. We see gravity. We see electrical, nuclear forces, weak and strong, and electrical magnetism and so forth. We see these basic forces. You say consciousness is is the force that drives nature. Well, we don't see it. We can't measure it. Can you show me how consciousness is... I can show you how gravity works. I can measure it and so forth. But we can't measure consciousness. So I say, well, consciousness is doing the measuring. How are you going to measure the measurer? Hmm? It's a, it's, you're going about it the wrong way. Don't try to measure consciousness. It's not measurable. It's doing the measuring. And the measurer is different than that which is measured. Consciousness is different from matter. Don't try to reduce consciousness to matter. It's different from matter. And it has power that you won't expect to find in matter. So don't look for the powers that you measure in matter in consciousness. And when you can't find them, say that well, consciousness is, is just a, an imagination. It's just some form of, of matter. We just haven't been able to measure it yet. No. Hmm? You won't be able to. Hmm? That's kind of the idea. You follow? Yeah, I, I think so. First time through, I was thinking, what's he trying to say? That we're observing consciousness, and this consciousness would be like, the ruler is like a tool. Yeah. And, you know, I, I use the ruler and I measure things with it. And consciousness, is that also a tool? Is that separate from us? Are we consciousness, or do we observe? We do both. Well, we observe matter, but... Uh, that that which is observed, but um, we are both consciousness and we have consciousness. In other words, it's like a light. A light is luminous, and in and of itself, and it illuminate illumines other things. So, because the light is on, then I'm illumined here. Hmm? So, the light is luminous in and of itself, and it has the power to illuminate other things. So we are luminous in and of ourselves, and we have the power to illuminate other things by projecting ourselves onto things. We make the world, so to speak, come to life. Hmm? The problem, of course, with us is that we're only partial light, hmm? and so there are shadows. Hmm? We try to illuminate the darkness, but there are shadows, and we're living in the shadows because we're only partial light. If we bring bhakti in, the swarup shakti, radha, Krishna Chaitanya, huh. then we can not only dissipate the darkness altogether, hmm, but we can shine light on Krishna. Hmm. Illuminate the sun. That's right. Yes. When a tree falls in the forest, it doesn't make a sound. That's kind of like what saying. Idealism. That's a form of idealism. Yeah, there's a, if matter was to function independently of consciousness, who would know about it? Who would care? So, if the tree falls, and did it actually happen? For it to happen, for it to happen, it happened, I have to say. Yeah, so, uh, so that's Berkeley's idealism. But uh, So, we're not pure idealists in that sense. He would say that the world doesn't exactly actually exist at all. We do say that matter exists, but nothing's happening if we're not tuned in, so to speak. So, anyway, yes, sir. 
Would you agree that there are limits to consciousness, though? Like? To our knowledge, like our knowing of... You can find limits to certain levels of our consciousness. Yes, okay, when I, what I would say to that is this, that there are limits to the consciousness in relative to our particular embodiment. Hmm? So, material nature shapes consciousness. Let's say, for example, you drive a, a, um, a BMW and I drive a Volkswagen. Okay? You and I are, let's say we're twin, identical twins. I mean, just to make, you know, we're, we're both humans, we're identical twins. We're like on the same page about everything except you like BMWs and I like Volkswagens. So when you drive the BMW, you're going to be able to express yourself in a certain way relative to the vehicle. And I'm going to express myself vehicularly relative to my vehicle, the Volkswagen. You're going to like leave me in the dust, so to speak. <laughs> you follow? So the, we can say that the car shapes the driver in that sense. Of course, without the car, without the driver, the, the car doesn't have any meaning to begin with. But when the driver is combined with the car, then the car will shape consciousness. So similarly, we have different bodies, whether it be an animal body or a plant body or a human body uh, uh, and so forth. And those bodies are shaping consciousness, limiting it, its expression or facilitating it better, its expression. We would say that in human life, consciousness, which, which is what we are, is more facilitated than it is in less complex forms of life. And therefore, in human life, questions like, why arise? Uh -huh. Oh my God, why? This doesn't arise in, in, in animal life, for example. Why? Purposeful questions. Do you understand what I'm saying? Value questions arise in human life. Hmm? Why am I? What am I? What is the meaning? These are questions that nature can't answer like how questions, how to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, how to... This is answered for all the animals. And others. They know what to eat, how to sleep, how to mate. We don't know those things. <laughs> because we're not preoccupied with the why question, which we should be. And those how questions would fall into place. But nature, while she can answer, she can answer the how questions, every species has a built-in... Nature gives the answers to those questions, right? How to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, how to defend yourself... Skunk has a tail and a scent, you know, tiger has claws and it's fast and, you know, so on and so forth for defending themselves, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. So in human life, this consciousness is coming out. So the human life allows it to take shape, to express itself more. And so it's asking about itself. Why? Purpose, meaning, philosophy, it's all... Matter, nature can't answer that. It's a consciousness question. So consciousness has to answer that. So we have to get answers from the other side. We need more consciousness. Hmm? So we, we're going to bring the, the source of consciousness. We're a spark. Hmm? We want to enter the fire, so to speak. And that means that the human life gives us a chance to gradually, through spiritual practice, transcend the limits of the human vehicle that's now shaping consciousness in a particular way and come out of that. When we come out from underneath the material um, encumbrance, hmm, then our possibilities as a unit of consciousness 
our, our fullest potential is realized. Still, we may have limits hmm, as a conscious being as to what our prospect of exper experience is. Consciousness is about experience. Hmm? So you, when you say, is consciousness limited? Is, is it limited? Are we limited in what we can experience? <laughs> we're limited by the shape that we're in at the moment, but we can transcend the shape in human life. And what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was offering is arguably the highest prospect of experience that consciousness can have. You can have the experience of Radha, for example, in relation to Krishna. That's pretty extraordinary. So is there? So I don't know exactly what you were thinking when you asked, isn't consciousness limited? You can say now, if you like, and how I haven't addressed your question, if that's the case. I feel like you've, you've definitely addressed my question, but I think that you're, you're saying that consciousness is semi-measurable, but only on the material scale. Yeah, yeah, I w yeah. In that in that sense, yeah. In terms of measure, you can measure, right? How conscious? If I'm a conscious entity, then one way of measuring is how aware I am uh, that I am. Hmm? Hmm? So someone can just be following the dictates of the mind and senses, and, and somebody else can be contemplative. And, and in human life, we we become aware of the fact that we exist. We think, I exist. In less complex forms of life, it's not as apparent. It's still there to some extent. Hmm? But the less complex the form of life comes, it is, the less self-awareness arises. In human life, self-awareness arises and it can be cultured, can be cultivated. That's what spiritual practice is about. Hmm? So, we can measure the extent to which consciousness is, is manifest. The Atma is manifest and aware of itself by looking at the, the different vehicles and seeing the symptoms of consciousness. Does that help? Yeah. Uh, one other comment on something you said earlier. So would you say that since we're so distraught on figuring out our why questions and that sometimes we forget about the hows and that animals are kind of instinctual to them, that the hows for us are more like shadows to the light? Yeah. Yeah, but what I'm also saying is, if you could really be preoccupied with the why question, the hows would fall into place, and they would be much smaller and insignificant. How much do you need to eat? Hmm? How much do you need to protect yourself, if you know you're not the body even? Hmm? Understand? Therefore, nidrahara vihara kadi vijito. He said about, about, about Rupa Goswami, nidrahara, he forgot to eat. He forgot to sleep. Hmm? He was uninterested in mating. He couldn't see the difference between a man and a woman. He saw different bodies, but he saw atma, consciousness in each one. So, I mean, that kind of takes the life out of the party, in a sense. <laughs> but it gives life to other possibilities, right? So, more preoccupied with the why question, in a way that it can be answered, which I said needs help from the other side. Hmm? then the how questions become smaller and smaller and less and less significant and they, they fall into place. But because we are not preoccupied with the why question in a way that it can be answered. Now, people, a lot of people preoccupied with the why question, but it's detached or unhinged from revelation, from mystics' experience and so forth that they share in texts like this. And so it just becomes a circular kind of thing. Do I exist? Maybe I don't exist. You know, and, and so forth. So, so... 
if you can hone that why question, hmm, that consciousness question, with the help of greater capital, with, with more consciousness, then hmm, you can easily answer all the how questions without thinking about them. So, we'll stop with that. I thank you for your time. And uh, we can now go upstairs, right? Be Arctic and some chanting and sure look at that picture. Hare Krishna.